Our call to worship are some verses from Psalm 147 in the message paraphrase. Hallelujah. It's a good thing to praise our God. Praise is beautiful. Praise is fitting. God's the one who rebuilds Jerusalem, who regathers Israel's scattered exiles. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the stars and assigns each of them a name. Our God is great with limitless strength. We'll never comprehend what he knows and does. And now let's come to God in prayer. We pray together. Hello, God. Once more, we've come together to be with you. Thank you for all the things this week that have been good and that made us smile. Thank you for jokes and funny stories, for television programs, books and games. Thank you for friends to play with at school or to meet with for drinks and chats in cafes or bars. Thank you for schools and colleges, places to work and places to relax. Thank you, God, for the joyful things in our week. Oh dear, though, God, not everything has been happy. Sometimes we have felt sad. Sometimes we have felt cross. And sometimes we've been bad. Sorry for the things we said that made other people sad, afraid or unloved. Sorry for the moments when we stamped our feet or shouted for our own way. Sorry for the times when grown-ups acted childishly instead of being like adults. Sorry, God, for the blips, blunders and bad things in our week. Loving God, when we go wrong, we know that you will always forgive us and help us to do better. When we do right... We know that you are really happy and pleased. Whatever we do, we need your help so that we can learn to be more, so that we can learn more about Jesus and be more like him in all we do and are. So please be with us whilst we're in church and also in the week ahead as we live our everyday lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our first book Bible reading today, you know, said Bible, oops, um, is on Psalm 66, starting at verse 7. And for those of you who are reading from the Pew Bible, it's page 574. He rules forever by his might and keeps his eyes on the nations. Let no rebels rise against him. Praise our God, all nations, let your praise be heard. 
He has kept us alive and has not allowed us to fall. You have put us to the test, God, as silver is purified by fire, so you have tested us. You let us fall into a trap and placed heavy burdens on our backs. You let our enemies trample over us. We went through fire and flood, but now you have brought us to a place of safety. I will bring burnt offerings to your house. I will offer you what I promised. I will give you what I said I would when I was in trouble. I will offer sheep to be burnt on the altar. I will sacrifice bulls and goats, and the smoke will go up to the sky. Come and listen to all who honour God. Come and listen all who honour God, and I will tell you what he has done for me. I cried to him for help. I praised him with songs. If I had ignored my sins, the Lord would not have listened to me. But God has indeed heard me. He has listened to my prayer. And the next reading is John chapter 14, page 138, if you're looking at the Pew Bible, starting from verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will stay with you forever. He is the Spirit who reveals the truth about God. The world cannot receive him because it cannot see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and is in you. When I go, you will not be left all alone. I will come back to you. In a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and because I live, you will also live. When that day comes, you will know that I am in my Father, and that you are in me, just as I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. My Father will love those who love me. I too will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, Lord, how can it be that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Whoever loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and my father and I will come to him and live with him. Whoever does not love me does not obey my teaching, and the teaching you have heard is not mine, but comes from the father who sent me. I have told you this while I am still with you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you everything and make you remember all that I have told you. Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am leaving, but I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for he is greater than I. I have told you this now before it all happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I cannot talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but the world must know that I love the Father. That is why I do everything as he commands me. Come, let us go from this place. If we wanted to be really pedantic, the gospel reading we've just heard is actually part two 
of the reading we had last week. So in a sense, although I didn't plan it that way, this is kind of part two of the same exploration. So in the best tradition of television drama series, we're going to begin today with previously in John 14. A very quick reminder of the context of the passage and where we got to last week. Part of what are sometimes referred to as the farewell discourses, John 14 is part of an extended narrative that begins with the disciples and Jesus meeting privately in an upper room just before Passover. Here, Jesus washes the disciples' feet and a meal is implied, though not described, before Judas slips away into the night to betray Jesus to the authorities. Peter is told that by daybreak, he will have denied knowing Jesus three times, and Jesus has begun to speak to them with the words, do not be troubled in heart, before going on to paint a picture of heaven as a huge estate with homes for all. And this phrase, do not let your hearts be troubled, is clearly really important because towards the end of what we just heard today, he repeats those words. Do not be worried and upset. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Last week, we thought a little bit about how Jesus' own experiences of being heart sick and heart sore, and we suggested that rather than an instruction, do not be worried, what he was actually saying might be, I I don't want you to feel like this. I don't want you to have this sadness, this aching heart, this sinking feeling in your stomach. Knowing that what lies ahead is going to be very painful and very frightening for them. Knowing that, of course, they will struggle because they are fully human. He is trying to offer them comfort and reassurance that actually it'll be okay. They'll get through. In this second part of the account, he moves on from speaking of things eternal, heaven, to the present, with the promise of what he refers to as another paraclete, who will come alongside them to share their journey through what lies ahead. Now, we're not going to reflect on minute words today, but the fact that he says another paraclete is interesting, because it suggests that he sees himself in the role of a paraclete, who is now about to go away. So I'm going, somebody else is going to come instead of me. But one of the things that struck me, especially with this passage this week, is how deeply pastoral it is. Arising from a situation where we are repeatedly told that Jesus' own heart was breaking at the prospect of what lay ahead of him, this discourse has the explicit purpose of comforting his followers in their own confusion and imminent loss. What we can really easily overlook, and I have to confess I hadn't spotted until this week, is there's actually a tension at work here. Amidst all that is said to reassure and comfort his disciples, Jesus also says, verse 28, for those who like to check these things, if you loved me, if you really loved me, you would be glad for me that I'm going home. Of course, they don't want him to go. They do love him. But it's a very human love, a very imperfect love that is actually a little bit selfish. It's centred in their lives, what will make them happy. 
If you really love me, you will be glad for me, says Jesus. Well, maybe it doesn't resonate for you, but it resonated with me. As I recall the times, and I've been really sad because somebody I care about is moving away or somebody who's been an important part of my life dies. And if I'm really honest and explore why I'm sad, it's about me. It's because I don't want them to go. It's actually selfish. It's about my happiness, not about their well-being long-term. Now, that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't be sad or grieve about our losses. That would just, that's just nonsense. But it does challenge me to think about why I grieve and what it is I'm grieving. And it's into this context, the very real ache of permanent separation, the sadness of bereavement, the bewildering and questioning that so often forms part of a grieving process, held in tension with the knowledge for the, for the one who is leaving or lost, that this is ultimately necessary and possibly liberating. Into this context of tension, Jesus speaks about the other paraclete, the someone else who will be sent by God to help the disciples and indeed others to move forward beyond the immediate despair and grief and into a future. Paraclete is a bit of an odd word. And of the gospel writers, only John uses this term. I have to say, the commentators seem to get quite excited and quite opinionated as they talk about this word, which is based on a whole range of etymological and historical factors. Some people say the word means advocate, Understanding that term in a legal sense, effectively as a lawyer, as somebody who acts on behalf of another in a court of law. And that certainly fits quite nicely with the penal substitution understanding of atonement. But even amongst those those scholars who use the term advocate, there is some disagreement as to whether this is actually a prosecution lawyer or a defence lawyer. And I start wondering if they try to push the analogy too far, interpreting it in the light of 20th century or 21st century now, Western European legal structures. Alongside the courtroom understanding, there is a more recent, we, we of course have a more recent understanding of advocacy as somebody who speaks or acts on behalf of another person who can't, by dint of circumstances, speak for themselves. But even so, it remains quite formal, quite bureaucratic, often within a legal framework. And that doesn't really seem to fit with this context of imminent bereavement and loss. You don't want a professional to come alongside you at that point to help you make sense of it, necessarily. Certainly don't want a lawyer other than to sort out the will. Other commentators, and indeed some translators, opt for the word counsellor, which seems to be more appropriate to the John 14 context, at least as we're interpreting it today. A counsellor can be understood as an advisor 
or as a professional who works with various techniques to help individuals, couples or families work through complex situations. Either of those seems to fit better with what we're talking about than the kind of lawyer model. And yet even here, there is a sense of detachment and short-term duration that isn't quite what Jesus is talking about. A counsellor, by dint of their training, has skills to help others to discern their way forward. But it remains, and rightly so, a professional relationship terminated when the work is done. So what we're left with is the slightly more vague term of comforter or helper, as the good news rather unhelpfully renders it, but never mind, a comforter. A word we might find ourselves drawn to because it's a bit softer and warmer and a bit less precise. Maybe, after all, the word paraclete, which just translates literally as someone who comes alongside, is the best. Jesus promises his followers someone who will come alongside them, who will accompany them into the future when he is no longer there. Without tying ourselves in knots that uh, Johannine, John's Gospel Pneumatology, presents us with, how about we centre on the idea of the paraclete as someone who brings comfort and somebody who may exercise some of those skills of a counsellor along the way. What does this comfort look like? What does the accompanying and counselling involve? Well, in John's Gospel, there are five explicit references to the work of the paraclete. For those who like looking them up, because I know some of you do, there are two in chapter 14, one in chapter 15, and two in chapter 16, and they give us some very helpful clues. I'm not going to work through them in detail or in order, but it seems in that good biblical way there are five or six, depending how you count, um, examples here, each of which are helpful for us as we face our own life challenges and losses. In what follows, I kind of focused mainly how, on how we might emulate the paraclete, how the fact that God's spirit living in us might shape our pastoral responses. The comforter helps the person being comforted to remember what they know to be true. I wonder how many of us find when we're confronted by an overwhelming situation that our brains just turn to mush. We need somebody who can remind us what we have heard, what we know. Somebody also, perhaps, who can speak the words of hope into the darkness and bleakness of our anxiety. In the immediate context of the disciples, then, the comforter will say, do you remember that Jesus said this? Or for us, the person who can come alongside in our fear and anxiety and say, yeah, but don't forget that the doctor also said this would be what might happen. Or that awful situation at work where somebody can say, yeah, but you know what? The manager seems to think... The comforter comes alongside as a voice of hope 
And maybe, yes, as a voice of reason, when our minds are in turmoil and can't really do that for themselves. The comforter also acts as an interpreter, helping the one being comforted to make sense of or make meaning in a situation. I don't understand it, we cry. Why has this happened? How come that? The comforter may not have the answers, may only be able to sit with us and share the questions. But by giving us permission to name them, we begin to make some kind of sense of what has happened. We may never, ever fully find the answers we seek, but we can be helped to find peace in living with the questions. And we may make enough sense of what has happened to allow it to influence our attitudes and our actions thereafter. The comforter is also a teacher who, by dint of their skills or experience, has new insights to offer to the one being comforted. Calling to mind what we already knew and beginning to make sense of a situation are vital to our well-being. But sometimes we need something new, something extra to add to what's going on in our minds. It could be as simple as practical information on where you can get benefits advice or how to fill in a complicated form or what you do when somebody dies or where you get the bus to wherever it is. It could be sharing of practical wisdom gained from experience. Yes, I remember when I was in that situation, this is what I did. The comforter brings something new and helpful that helps us to move forward. The comforter is also a guide, one who will travel with those being comforted and enable them to find their way forward. Not just a teacher then who imparts information, but a travelling companion who knows the way forward or at least has a good idea where it may be and will travel with us at our own pace, maybe pointing out things on the way and ensuring that we arrive safely at our destination. This isn't a detached, disinterested professional. It is a friend who will share with us in the messiness of life, certainly for a season and maybe for a lifetime. The comforter will reveal to you things you're not yet ready to bear. In the face of Jesus' imminent death, there undoubtedly were things that the disciples just could not have coped with. And only later would God's spirit reveal these to them. I think the same is true for us. Perhaps faced with a conflict situation at work that's very raw and very real, we're not yet ready to reflect on how we might have contributed to that situation. Faced with a life-threatening illness or a life-changing condition, we may not yet be ready to discover the long-term consequences of its treatment. 
faced with the inevitability of ageing, we may not yet be ready to give up our independence and let go of some of our possessions. The comforter knows that these challenges have to be faced, but not yet. They will wait until the time is right, as best they can judge it, and then help us to face them. The comforter testifies or witnesses to Jesus. This is the most explicitly Christian element of what is said about the paraclete. And this is the one that transforms everything that already has been said because the fact is most of what I've said already could be done by an ordinary, decent human being. To testify or witness does not mean to Bible bash somebody. It doesn't mean to barge in offering a proof text or a promise verse into every conversation. It doesn't mean to say that you're always checking if somebody is saved or has confessed their sins or whatever it is. To testify or to witness has two elements to it, one implicit and one explicit. Implicitly, our faith in Christ transforms us. It changes us, whether or not we recognize it. So that, and that is how we express the reality of our faith in how we are. When I was at college, one of my college tutors used to regularly remind us, you're the face of Jesus that people see. How you are, how you behave, how you act, how you treat other people, that's the face of Jesus and the treatment of Jesus that they see. And that's quite a challenging thing. But we bear witness through how we are. And then explicitly, there is a time and a place for speaking. A time to respond when somebody asks about faith and we can answer it. Or when appropriate, to offer to pray with somebody. The Spirit gives us that nudge that it's okay that now is an okay time to do that. But we don't have to be worrying ourselves about getting God in at every verse end, because God's already there. Bearing witness to Jesus involves knowing when to speak and when to keep silent. I've deliberately been quite earthy in what I've spoken about. This idea of the the paraclete as a comforter and how that can work out in our lives. You see, part of the mystery of what we hear in John's Gospel is that the comforter indwells, lives inside the disciples and later others. The practical outworking of the Spirit's comfort is seen in human relationships, whether they are short or long-term, whether they are professional relationships or our personal relationships and whatever the situation. Part of that mystery also is that sometimes we are the ones who need to be comforted, coming alongside somebody else in their time of need or challenge or conflict or fear or whatever it might be. And sometimes we are the ones who need that done for us. Somebody to come alongside to comfort us, remembering interpreting, teaching, 
guiding, revealing, and in all of it, quietly witnessing to the love of Christ. Everybody here has got your own challenges. Some of you, you will know about. Some of them we won't know about because we're never given more than we can handle at a time. But in those contexts, we need some comfort and reassurance. So I'm going to end with the bit of what Jesus said that I'm not going to preach on because we don't have time. This wonderful promise that Jesus gives to his friends. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Amen. We come together in our praise for each other and in our praise for others. Let us pray. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. Loving God of peace and of wisdom, we come together this morning in this place and at this time to offer our thanks and lifting up our voices in praise of your mercy and grace. You have showered upon us so many gifts that too often we take for granted. You have given us so many fruits of the Spirit to guide us, to comfort us, to sustain us. We pray for the strength to obey and to trust in your loving commands. O light that follows all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. O inspiring God of miraculous deeds, and of the ultimate transforming sacrifice. We come together in reverence, bringing our concerns for others, our concerns for each other, and each with our own personal concerns and our own troubled hearts. But comforted that you will never leave us, comforted comforted that you will not abandon us, and comforted that we can feel your presence here among us and within us. We pray for the willingness to trust and to obey your loving commands. O joy that seeks for me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. Comforting God, reassuring God, slow to anger and full of forgiveness. We pray for others and for each other that we may be swathed in your loving embrace. We pray for others and for each other that we may be cocooned in your forgiving presence. And we pray for others and for each other that we may be surrounded by your merciful presence to receive your peace and to make sense of our world. We pray that our hearts and our minds will be opened to trust and obey your loving commands. O cross that raises up my head, 
I dare not ask to fly from thee. Redeeming God, we have marvelled at your long-awaited incarnation, the word made flesh. We have sang Hosanna as you journeyed triumphantly into Jerusalem. We have anxiously asked, is it I, Lord, at your table, at your betrayal? We have witnessed the confusion of the cross, denying that we know you. We have rejoiced in your resurrection and broken bread with you on the Emmaus Road. And now we anticipate eagerly the amazement of your ascension. We are ashamed into obedience by your grace, comforted that you are with us always, even though we fail. You have prepared a place for us through the love that will not let us go, and we give back the lives we owe that in thine ocean depths and flow may richer, fuller be. Amen. And so as we leave here and return to the everyday with all its challenges, may we be blessed with the peace of Christ and the comfort of the Holy Spirit now and always. Thank you.